Both. Amen. Well, it is good to be in the pulpit this morning. I don't normally have the privilege to preach in the morning. Um, if you come Sunday nights, I sometimes get the privilege then to preach too. We have a lot of guest speakers and things, but it's a blessing to be with you all. If you're wondering, Pastor and Miss Janie, they are out of town. They went to Greenville, South Carolina to their um, reunion, 40-year reunion. And I think, well, I won't say that. Uh, 40-year reunion at Bob Jones University, and so they got to see a lot of old friends, uh, people they hadn't seen in a long time. Um, some of you know Brother Corver. He passed away. Mrs. Corver, uh, they got to see and show pictures of the new building. Brother Corver was instrumental in helping us in some of the building projects we've done in the past years ago, and uh, they got to spend uh, a dinner or lunch with uh, Dave Kistler and his wife yesterday, and uh, he told me that they were on their way up to see Elisa and Melissa after that, I think, lunch then yesterday. So you pray for um, Pastor Miss Janie that it would be just a refreshing time for them. Um, you know, the, the building project takes a lot out on everybody, okay, and especially your pastor and, and uh, him uh, then preaching too and teaching and visiting and all the different things. So you pray for them. It will be very refreshing. Um, it is good to have Ernie back, and I talked a little bit to Ernie earlier, and he said it was just a, a neat time with his daughter, and, and uh, she knew the Lord, and and so uh, we praise the Lord that she's, she's in heaven. Some of you may have heard about Bobby, uh, Bobby Lawson, who used to be a part of our church um, over decoration. She was our bookkeeper. Um, I think she was even our church secretary for a time, too. Um, she passed away, I believe, yesterday. And so she went uh, pretty quick at the end there. But really, that's, that's God's mercy, isn't it? So that's, that's okay. She knew where she was going. And and uh, God is so good. And so just a lot, a lot going on, isn't there? And so I want to be of an encouragement this morning. Um, if you could open your Bibles to Luke 15. And uh, some of you say, Luke 15, Pastor Nathan, you've been teaching this in Sunday school. Um, I really started studying this uh, for family camp back in August. And uh, I don't know, there's just some truths in here that I just, I can't, I just can't get enough of. Um, and, I, and I really want to be an encouragement to you. And and so the way I look at this is some of you have heard um, some of this very fresh for you if you're in Sunday school um, in the classes I teach, but we never can get enough, can we? Um, they used to tell us in um, preaching class, repetition, repetition, just keep repeating things and maybe eventually they'll get it <laughs> in different ways and, and eventually I'll get it. I don't know. But uh, in Luke 15, we'll, um, some of this will be fresh, new. It's, it's really going to be an overview of the whole chapter. But I pray that it will be a blessing today um, as we see the ministry of our compassionate Lord. And um, I pray that we can respond in the right way, too. And so if you're in Luke 15, we're going to uh, just read the whole chapter, if that would be okay. And, and uh, you follow along, and I'll try to um, read it with, with um, some emotion here. And, uh, but as I read it, though, I want you to notice there are, there are three parables in Luke 15, and they're all linked together. And really, they were really, ultimately, you know who I think these, these were written for? They're written for us, obviously, as Christians, believers, um, as God's word is profitable for, for doctrine, reproof, for correction, instruction, righteousness, for all of us. But ultimately, I think these three parables were really getting at the religious leaders at the time, the Pharisees and the scribes. Ultimately, I think that's who his audience is here. But um, we can go far beyond that. But you'll see, and I, I want you just, just to notice the ministry of Christ, because Christ's ministry is for us today. And uh, how do we respond to it? So Luke 15, uh, verses 1 through 32. Here we go. 
Um, I tell you, we have some slides too. Do you want to um, go to the first slide? And all right, sorry about that. All right, Luke fifteen one verse or fifteen verse one. Then drew near unto him all the publicans, that being tax collectors, and the sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and he eats with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Truly, I think Jesus is saying that tongue-in-cheek. Is there, is there 99 that are righteous that don't need to repent? No. But the Pharisees sure thought they were pretty righteous, didn't they? All right, verse 8, another parable. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me! For I found the peace which was lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living, wasteful living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that city or of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servant, Bring forth the best robe. Put it on him and put the ring on his hand and and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. 
Now his elder son was in the field, and as as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brothers come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And this elder brother was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gave me a, a kid that I might have uh, make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with prostitutes, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf? And the father said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning. Lord, as Darlene sang of looking up, for our redemption draweth nigh. I pray, Lord, that we would see the redemption we have through Christ. Lord, I know there are saved individuals here this morning. There may be some, though, Lord, that are um, right where the prodigal's at before he comes home. But Lord, there may be some here today that are like the elder brother. Maybe self-righteous. Lord I, Lord, I don't know, but Lord, I pray that we would lift up our eyes to you, Lord Jesus. That we would see your compassionate ministry to us and for us and for the lost. Lord, that you transform our thinking. You take our eyes off ourself, help our eyes to be on our, our loving Lord. I pray, Lord, you do a work of grace in our hearts now. Do what we cannot. Spirit of God, teach, guide, convict, restore, redeem. Lord, we're thankful for what you're going to do now. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you four truths about Jesus in this passage today. Four truths. Some of you have heard this before. That's okay, but I hope you don't tune me out. Four truths about the wonderful compassionate ministry of Christ for you, for others, and how we should respond. The first one I want to see this morning that I want to present is is the idea that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And we'll we'll talk more about this because there is some misunderstandings about this. But we see right in verse 1 and 2 here that really, if you were to back up, and it would seem that If you just take it as it is here in context, Luke 14, Jesus is talking about being a true follower of him. He's saying, hey, you need to follow me with all your heart. You need to take up your cross. You need to follow. You need to put me first before your family. You need to you need to to sacrifice. You need to love me. And he gives really a a very um, powerful message, very sobering message on being a true follower of him. And then we get to Luke 15, and and we see that the tax collectors and the sinners, they're drawing near to Jesus. They want to hear what He has to say. They want to know more. But we have also the religious leaders kind of in the background here, and they're they're what? They're murmuring. Um, 
They're, they're angry. They don't understand. This isn't right. He calls himself the Son of God. He calls himself the, the God. Why is he with sinners? Why is he with these horrible tax collectors? You see, folks, Jesus was the friend of sinners. Jesus did not want to uh, accept the sin, but he loved the sinner. You see, um, these tax collectors were <laughs> just like today in some ways. Uh, uh, nobody likes to fork over your money to the IRS, do you? Okay, so that's already a problem right away, right? But the tax collectors were regarded as traitors. They were traitors to those in Israel. These were the people that would, that would collect the, the money for Rome. They would send it back to Rome. It's like taking money out of your own. It's, they're not a nation here, but out of your own country, your own area, and sending it off to Rome. Okay? Rome was the empire at that time. The Romans were over them. But not only that, the tax collectors really, they, they didn't have a, you know, the IRS has pages and pages and pages of laws and regulations and all that, right? Gary has to take, he's works for uh, one of the tax agencies in town, and he's got to learn all that stuff and do classes every year. It's crazy. You almost wish there was just a flat... Well, another one. I won't get political. All right. Um, but this was kind of... It was kind of uh, ambiguous. And so the tax collectors could, could charge, and then they could charge whatever really they wanted on top. And there's no doubt they're embezzling it. They're doing it for themselves. And we know later by some of the other stories in the Bible, true accounts, Zacchaeus and... And of course, Levi, Matthew, Levi was a tax collector, but they, they took more than they should have. They were people that were not well liked at all. They were like traitors to the country. They were like embezzlers. Um, they were outcasts. They were the lowest form of people, okay, or in many people's eyes, okay? They were corrupt. They were universally hated. And these are the people that want to hear what Jesus has to say. It uses the term sinners, okay? Uh, that's very interesting, because really. Who's a sinner in here? You better raise your hand. Every one of us are, okay? But in the, in the eyes of really the religious leaders at the time, it was, oh, well, I'm pretty good. I have these nice clothes on. I wash my hands. I keep myself separate from that which is unclean. I go to the temple. I pray. I give. I do all these things. But, oh, wow, look at those. Look, he's around harlots. He allows a woman to wash his feet with her hair. Don't you know, Jesus, she's a sinner? But these are the people that want to hear what Jesus has to say. Because he was a friend to them. He cared for them. Though he did not, he did not want to condone their sin. He did not want to accept their sin and partake in their sin. He wanted them to know that he loved them. And he wanted a, a personal relationship. He wanted to restore their soul. He wanted to change them. He wanted to give them hope. And they wanted it. Do you think... When you were in your sin, do you think you really wanted to stay a slave to sin? You think this tax collector, every time he collected money from a widow and charged more, and, and every time he did these things to a, a poor family, do you think, you think he was really finding satisfaction? you think he was really happy with himself? I don't think so. You go out today and some of those notorious sinners, okay, all sin is sin, but the other day I was at the gas station, I was airing up my tires and you know, trying to be friendly, but at the same time, there was some people there that, honestly, I, I felt like it was, the Lord was preaching to me, but the one said, are, are you high right now? I mean, I'm like, okay, I'm airing up my tires. Listen, I'm like, well, my tire's getting high here, but uh, 
They weren't talking to me, okay? Um, they were, you could tell they had been into drugs. You could tell that their teeth weren't right, you know, and that's usually because of meth. But that's the type that, that were coming to Jesus and wanting to hear. And I had to really check my heart um, in that way, but we'll talk more about that. But, but Jesus, he ate with the sinners. Remember Zacchaeus? He goes and wee little, the wee little man, right, goes up in the sycamore tree and wanting to see Jesus. And Jesus goes over to the sycamore tree and looks up at him and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, get down from there. What are you doing? I'm going to go eat at your house tonight. I want to get to know you more. What happened when Zacchaeus came and talked to Jesus? He got right, didn't he? He got right with God. He repented. He gave back four times the amount. Folks, Jesus was a friend of sinners. He didn't accept their sin, but he, he reached out to them. He loved them. He cared for them in a way that, that we need to care. You see, you, you look at his disciples and who surrounded him and who followed him. It wasn't the religious elite. It wasn't the most educated. It wasn't the cleanest, the people that grew up in good families. It was Matthew Levi, a tax collector, that Jesus had come follow me. And he got up from his table and left everything he had and he followed Jesus. It was, it was Simon the Zealot that wanted to really cause a war with Rome and take over. Do it, do it by force. It was Mary Magdalene who had the who was possessed by the demons. You know, when demonic activity takes place, there's no doubt that person's opening themselves up to it. It doesn't just happen. It happens when you get into sin, and it happens when you give your life over to, to sin and things. And so uh, fishermen, okay, not the not the cleanest, okay, not the, the nice, usually a lot of potty talk, you know, and, and cussing and swearing and but let's go to Luke five twenty seven. This really in many ways, sums up the mission of Christ. I think we could add more to this. I mean, ultimately, even when Jesus' parents found him in the temple, what did he say? I'm about my father's business. About my father's business. He came to fulfill the will of the father. And the will of the father was that he be the word, that he be the light, that he declare who God is. Luke 5.27 this is right after, um, and we can read this. This is really about um, the publican Levi here, Matthew Levi. And then we'll get right into his mission. Verse 27, And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican, a tax collector named Levi, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all. He rose up and he followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured. Here they are murmuring again. They're upset against the disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous or the self-righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here we have that mission really of Jesus. He was a friend of sinners, but he was calling them to repent to turn from their way and to turn and turn to God, to, to cling to God, to trust in God, to trust in Christ. And in, in doing so, their, their thoughts would change, their actions would change, their attitudes as they turned and they repented and got right. 
So we see Jesus here wanting to, uh, to help those that were ill spiritually, knew it. But those that were self-righteous, really, he could not help. He couldn't help. In fact, they got more angry and envious that they wanted to destroy and kill him. You see, folks, Jesus is the friend of sinners, but I want you to understand something. The Bible is very clear that before you come to know Christ, you are an enemy of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? You are an enemy of God. In Ephesians, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our our behavior, our conversation in time past, and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath. But God, who's rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. It says in James 4, 4, Ye adulteresses and adulterers, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. You see, Jesus wants to be a friend of sinners, but really, we're going our own way, as we'll see with the prodigal. Each one of us, before you come to know Christ, you are the enemy of God. And if you've never turned and accepted Christ, you are the enemy of God. And you say, Pastor Nathan, I'm not that bad of a person. Well, then you don't understand what sin is. You don't understand how holy God is, how he is a loving God and he cares, but no sin can dwell in his presence. Sin is anything that you do say or speak that breaks God's laws. Have you kept the Ten Commandments? Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen something, however small or big it is? Have you ever had anger in your heart towards somebody? You go through those. We we fall short. We're going our own way. We are the enemies of God. But Jesus here wants to be that friend. He wants to lovingly draw. He wants to lovingly help. He wants them to come. He wants you to come. Do you remember before you came to know Christ? You were an enemy of God. And that sounds sounds tough, but it's true. You were going your own way. Folks, I have to ask, what's the proper response then if Jesus is the friend of sinners for you, you believer? What's the proper response? The proper response is that we let Christ's ministry through minister through us, that compassionate ministry. So what does that mean? It means that we've got to rub shoulders with sinners. <laughs> you've got to get out of your comfort zone. You've got to love people. You've got you've got to you've got to put some prejudices out of the way. You've you've got to put some thoughts out of the way. You've got to go past smell. You've got to go past dog hair, cat hair. You've got to go past smoking. You've got to go past vomit. You've got to go past those things, and you've got to love others. Folks, there's times people come in our church that are just right off the street. There might be some here today. Do you go and sit by that person? Do you go talk to that person? What about that neighbor? (laughs) What about that single mom? A proper response ought to be what? To go and show that love of Christ to others. He's sitting and eating in that culture. To eat is, it, it does show like some acceptance of the person. He's not trying to accept the sin. But it, it's showing a love and a care and a concern. In fact, I think in that culture, I'm pretty sure, but if you eat with somebody, you're basically saying, hey, I'll protect them. I'll watch over them. Folks, are you a friend to sinners? 
People may not accept the gospel, but they may not turn, they may not repent, but, but they ought to know you love them and you care for them. I'm preaching right to myself today. Not only was Jesus the friend of sinners, but, but he also uh, is a lover of our soul. In these, in these parables, really, we see the idea that uh, of these different pictures, really, there's, there's three different pictures in there. There's a picture of a, of a shepherd, okay? There's a picture of a lady that's trying to find a coin. And there's a picture of a father that's looking and waiting for his son to return. All those pictures represent who? Jesus. All of them. You see, Jesus was concerned, wanting to show the concern and the love that he had for people's soul. So let's think about these parables a second. The first one, the loving shepherd, you see the the picture back there. 99, out of 100 sheep, 99, he leaves to go find one. And and in your mind, you're thinking, well, he just left the 99 in the wilderness. What about those others? You have to think to yourself, he left the 99 in a safe spot, okay? He's not going to leave them in a bad spot where there's wolves and things like that. He left them in a safe spot. And there's one sheep that's out there that's lost. The black sheep, okay? I don't know if it was black, but you know what I mean by that. All right? How much is that? That's 1%. 1% of the shepherd's flock. Now, the shepherd would have owned those, would have cared. It's like a manager doing all kinds of things with those sheep. But it's 1%, isn't it? And I have to ask myself at times, 1%, do I care about that 1%? Financially at times, I don't, I mean, if you have, with stocks, okay, do you remember a couple of years ago, if you only had a 1% loss, that was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> Instead of a 30% loss or a 20% loss. But this is 1%. This is one sheep. And we, we see here in this passage that, that what? It says in verse 4, it says, He went after that which was lost until what? He found it. If that sheep was not found, they would have known it in that culture. And those people, they were around uh, sheep and shepherds. That sheep would have died, no doubt. Sheep are not protective. They're, they're, they're easily worried and stressed. And uh, the predators can come. I mean, what can a sheep do if a wolf's coming? Try to run and baa as loud as they can, okay? It's not going to be enough. But we see this picture here of what? Really of Jesus being the compassionate shepherd. Do you see that? And when he hath found it, verse 5, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. He takes that black sheep. He takes that wayward sheep. He picks it up and he comes home. What, What do sheep do, okay? They do do-do, don't they? <laughs> all right? All over. But we see that here. He's willing to go and to get it and to bring it back to the 99. We see that that love. And, and the woman here that lost her, her coin, this coin, silver coin. Silver is a precious metal. Um, most scholars believe that it's, that coin represents one day's wages. Okay? She, now she has 10 coins. That's 10 days' wages. That's probably her life savings. It says a woman here, and so you don't hear of a husband, and this is a parable, of course, but it could be a widow, didn't have much at all. And she has one coin. What, now what are we talking about? We're talking about 10%, aren't we? 10%. The shepherd was willing for 1% to go. Now we have 10%. It's kind of getting more, isn't it? And so what does the, what does the woman do? She, she goes and she buys a candle and she gets under and she searches what? Diligently. She's looking diligently for that coin until what? 
She finds it. She finds it. At last, the father, the father that gave his, split his inheritance, but amazing, we'll hopefully have time to talk about that. But the father is what? He's sitting. He's sitting. I wonder if I can do this. Pastor's not here. You won't know, right? The father, he's sitting. It's like I envision him sitting on the, on the porch, and he's just rocking, looking, praying for his son. Is that my son? He goes, and you have to remember, he's old. Okay, we don't know how old, but he's a father. He's old, and they're asking for the inheritance. At that time, they wore robes. You realize that too, right? So he probably had to pick his robe up, and he's looking, and it says that he did what? He ran. I mean, just imagine an older man running. You don't do that in that culture. Old men don't run. By the way, old men don't run normally in our culture either, okay? Um <laughs> but we see what? That's a 50%, isn't it? I mean, we have the older brother. He's safe and sound, although he's not really. But this, the prodigal, right? He's going, he's searching, he's looking. These three pictures represent Jesus. And the value keeps getting greater and greater. And we see the rejoicing, the rejoicing that takes place. And the father just runs and wraps his arm around and he kisses him and he's full of compassion, wanting to love. He does that before his son even says a word. Jesus is, is the lover of men's souls. He's the lover of your soul. What's the proper response? How do you love others? Do you care about their soul? Or do you care about stuff? Do you care about the externals? I mean, really, do you care for their soul? When you see people, do you just see someone on the side of the street or someone behind a till? Or do you see them as a soul? Where will they spend eternity? Do they know Christ? I'm not, I'm not trying to put a, a guilt trip on it. I'm just trying to get you to think like Christ would think. Okay? Who's the one that saves people? Jesus does. Right? But if you know Jesus, he lives in you. What kind of love do you have? And I think... Really, to me, the proper response is to, to have the right priorities in our life. If this shepherd was willing to leave the 99 and go after that 1%, that one sheep, he cared about that sheep. How much do we care about others? God help us. It shows through, our, shows through what we do, what we think about, how we give, our time, not just our money, but it shows, doesn't it? Lastly, I want you to see this. And by the way, the Son of Man came to what? Seek and to save that which is lost. He came to seek and to save, and he uses us. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world teaching, baptizing. But lastly, I want you to see this. Verse, verse 11 really is the, is the prodigal son parable, or some have called this the tale of two sons. This is where I'm kind of at in, in Sunday school, and I hope to look at the son, the father, and the elder son uh, more in detail uh, on, on separate days. So really, it's just an overview. But what, do, what does the son do? It's a slap in the face. The younger son comes up to the father, and he says, give me the portion of the goods that fall from me. Give me, your inher- give me the inheritance. That is like so, it's like infinitely disrespectful. You don't ask for the inheritance when no one has died. By the way, do you ask for the inheritance Period. I mean, should you have that kind of attitude? 
I, mean, I don't see my parents as, oh man, there's, there's money figures. How, how wicked, how evil, isn't it? But he saw really his dad as just a front to the money. How insulting. And he wants this. And you know, it's an amazing response of the father, isn't it? If my son asked me something like, I mean, asked, you know, we're not talking about my inheritance. I don't have that much to give. But um, I mean, if, if my son just comes up and he says, Dad, get your wallet out. I want that candy bar. I'd be like, son, there ain't no way you're getting that candy bar. <laughs> In fact, you need to live without something they would understand. You need to get out and work and pick up some leaves or something, okay? Um, but that's not his response here. The father is what? He lovingly just divides it. And he divides it to the younger son and the older brother, which is amazing. It's amazing here to see. And I don't want to draw too many truths. Parables, you know, there's usually a main truth. By the way, what's the main truth that we see through all this is the rejoicing that goes on in heaven over one sinner that repents. Rejoicing. What are you rejoicing? And so we see this, but... But the father divides the inheritance. The son, the son would have, the, usually the older brother would have gotten double portion. Okay, would have gotten more, all right? And, and the idea of your inheritance, you understand in the Levitical system and, and uh, in the Is, Israelite system, whatever it is, the older son got the majority normally. And it would, have, the, it would have been about land and certain heirlooms and certain things that would have been passed on. That's why they had the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, it would return to the families. And so this would have meant to him either selling some of his land, selling some of his sheep, selling some of his, giving some of his family heirlooms that then the son would have t- took and sold. Because what did the son want? Son wanted the money. And so it was like the father giving this and the son taking it and selling it at garage sale prices because he wants so much to go live it up. Folks, by the way, who does the prodigal son represent? If you know Jesus as your Savior, it represents you before you came to know Christ. You say, well, Pastor Nathan, I wasn't that bad. Well, when you understand who God is and who we are, yes, you were. It says here that the son took the money and he what? He left his family, no doubt in Israel area, and he went, and this is a parable again, but the idea is that he went to a Gentile country. We know that by the pigs. He wanted to leave everything behind and he wanted to go and live it up. And really, we know later that really the father, really leaving in that way, they they would have treated him like a dead man. He's gone. His whole desire was to live it up. By the way, enemies of God are not people that necessarily just always say horrible things about God or things about that, but people that want to go their own way and live their own way. Those that are the friend of this world, okay? This world and all the attitudes and the here and now and I've got to have stuff and building my own kingdom, they are the enemies of God, okay? They're going their own way and this, this prodigal is going his own way and where does it lead? Oh, it leads to riotous living, wasteful living. He gets the, the pleasures of the world for a while. But then what? It all goes south, doesn't it? Rock bottom. By the way, when you came to know Christ, did you kind of have to hit that brokenness? Rock bottom? Some, I, I mean, I hope so. I hope you realize the sin and all that. And sometimes it takes people to hit rock bottom before they're ready. Um, 
But he's, he's hitting rock bottom. And it's at that time when he's hitting rock bottom, when he's with the pig. Let's go to the next slide. Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. Back up. Um, well, you have a picture here in a second um, that, will, that will show this even more. But, but he's hitting rock bottom here. And uh, folks, sin, he, was, he was really, we're seeing here the sin. He's going his own way. Sin is anything you think, say, or do that breaks God's laws. The, the fact is, yeah, that's all right. You can go back, though. I'll, um, that's my picture, though, of the prodigal in the, with the pig pen, okay? Sorry for all that. Um, but, but the fact is that the prodigal is going his own way, and he now comes to his senses, and he realizes something. It's way better at my father's place. He realized that he sinned, bef- he sinned in, before heaven, before his father, and he can go back. And he's just going to beg and ask for help. You see, go to the next slide, please. Jesus is the sacrifice for sin. And this isn't as clear here because I truly believe Jesus is using this parable to try to rebuke the religious leaders. But the fact is, is that Jesus, he came to this earth. He lived that perfect life. He in no way sinned. And, and the Bible says he was tempted in all points yet without sin. In First Peter, it says there that there was no sin. There was no uh, beguile in him. There was no sin in his lips. You see, Jesus, he was that perfect lamb of God. He was that sacrifice. He did what was right. He obeyed his parents. All right. He he did what was needed to be that perfect sacrifice for you and me, for the sinner. You see, in, in that atonement that was needed here, Jesus is the sacrifice for sin. He's the substitute for sin. He, he is a friend of sinners. He is the lover of our souls, but he is the sacrifice for sin. He's the substitute. He willingly came and died in our place. He said, my, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why, he'd never experienced that before. He was taking on the sins of the world. He was in the garden. He said, Father, not, not my will, but thine be done. Take this from me. Take this cup of suffering. But he endured through it. God gave the Father gave help and grace, but he paid for our sins. He did that so that he could make a way that we could have forgiveness. Folks, what is our proper response? The proper response to the idea that Jesus is the sacrifice, the substitute for sinners. The proper response is to not forget what you were saved from. The proper response is to rejoice in your salvation daily. The proper response is the fact that anybody can get saved if they put their faith in Jesus Christ, the substitute for sinners, the one who rose from the dead, the one that paid the sin debt penalty. Don't give up praying for those who are lost in your family. Don't give up loving them, sharing. Only Christ can save, but don't give up. God can do a work. Folks, when we went to the jail, um, the the women's correctional facility up in uh, Coffee Creek this last Saturday, there was a lady there, and I've shared this. Her name is Angela McNulty. How many of you know that, that lady? Just a couple of you. And I've shared this, but Angela McNulty is the only woman on death row in Oregon. She visited this church back in 2007 a couple times. Uh, we went and tried to visit her in her home, too. It was just something didn't seem right, okay? But she was, she was seeking she ended up being convicted of, of murdering her oldest daughter 
and put on the death sentence. I remember visiting her in the Lane County Jail and going and talking and sharing the gospel. And folks, I don't know, and I'm, I'm not here, and that you shouldn't, you shouldn't judge people's motives and all of that. I, I don't know. I just gave her the gospel, and she said, Pastor Nathan, I've already accepted Christ, and I am in, I am in the jail here. I deserve what I'm getting, but I'm studying the Bible. There's two other women. We're studying the Bible together. You know, and as, and when I heard that, I said, okay, you know, you know, we, we have phones. The clergy have a red phone, and they're not supposed to record. I don't know if I was on the red phone or the normal phone. And you just, you just don't know. I don't want to judge her, but you don't know. But when we went up to Coffee Creek, now this is how many years later? This is a lot of years later, okay? And as we're there, one of the ladies, Patty, comes up to me, and she says, Pastor Nathan, I just want you to know that every Thursday night, I get to go see Angela McNulty because she's all by herself, and they can't do solitary confinement. So I get to go in there and spend two hours with her. And you know what we do? We spend time studying the Bible. You see, the vilest of sinner, okay, Jesus can save. Though there are earthly consequences, Jesus can save. Don't give up on people. Don't, don't think that there's no one that God cannot save. Jesus is the substitute, the sacrifice for sinners. The next, next slide. Jesus is also the restorer of your soul. You see, the, the Pharisees thought this. The religious leaders thought, there is no way you can get right with the holy God unless you do something, unless you make yourself clean, unless you add to the law. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, they had it wrong. They had it backwards. You can't do enough. And this was revolutionary. The fact is that Jesus can can save, he can forgive, he can make atonement, and that they can be saved. And that's what we see the prodigal is. The prodigal's coming home and the father's running there. The father hugs and kisses. And what does he say before the son can fully spit everything out? He, de- he never says, just hire me as a hired servant. When, when the father hears the son part, he says what? Go get the robe. Go get the ring. Go get the sandals. Kill the fatted calf because... That father now didn't see a dead person. His son was not dead. He was alive. His son had returned home. And the father, I think through these actions, was restoring his son to that position that he had left. You see, when you come to know Jesus as your Savior, you are now set in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Your position is in Christ. You are a new creature in Christ. The old things have what? passed away and behold new things have come now there's consequences don't get me wrong there are earthly consequences but in our relationship with god god saves he restores he renews aren't you thankful for that that he can restore that he can do a work it's by grace alone through faith alone it's not through our works it's through him don't give up on people help people to grow how do we respond to this the idea is that we need to understand jesus does the work he takes people where they're at He's the one that cleans and he restores and he does an amazing work in our lives. Aren't you thankful? Our Heavenly Father was compassionate, wasn't he? How compassionate are we? Folks, I think, I've ran out of time, but really the response of the older brother hopefully is not your response today. He was, they were angry, murmuring. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm thankful for um, 
the folks that are here today. And um, Lord, I pray you do a work of grace in our hearts. Lord, I truly do believe that um, each one of us needs to repent of certain thoughts, Lord, that we have. Maybe there is a self-righteousness. I'm better than this person or this person. We're not willing to get out of our comfort zone. We need to just repent. It's not all upon us. You're the one that saves. We just need to show love to people. So, Lord, I pray you do work. Help us, Lord, to be encouraged today. Help us to see the hope that's in you. Help us to help us to see, Lord, if there's some that are just cast down today, that they would realize, Lord, that, that it's only through you, by your grace, through your help, and that positionally we are your son, we are your child, and you will never leave us nor forsake us. But, Lord, there might be some here, Lord, that that are lost today. They're like the prodigal. They're going their own way. They are really the enemy of God because they're not listening, not heeding. I pray, Lord, you would do a work of grace in their hearts. Do what I cannot today. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we sing, I just want you to close your, your eyes and bow your head a second. Maybe there's something you need to just, um, and the piano can play, if you... Maybe there's something you just need to ask God, cleanse me, Lord. Maybe there's something you need to repent of today. But maybe there is someone here today that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. There is room at the cross for you. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He died on the cross that you deserve. He rose from the dead. And the Bible's clear, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've never experienced that grace and that forgiveness through Christ today, you can have salvation. Right there in your chair, even now, you can pray and tell God you are a sinner. That you deserve His wrath. You deserve, the Bible's clear, you deserve hell. But you can then declare that Jesus paid your sin debt in full. He was your substitute. He rose from the dead. And you want to put your faith in Him. You can do that right in your chair. You can talk to me afterwards or talk to someone you look up to spiritually. Father, do a work of grace in hearts this morning. We love you now and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close with the song this morning, number 347. If you would stand, number 347, we'll sing the first stanza. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Number 347. I hope you respond in the right way today. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. On the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home, you who are weary, come home earnestly. Tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for sinners. 
Amen. Aren't you thankful for your Lord? Let's share him this week with others. There might be a few announcements on the slides. We'll roll through those, and then you'll be dismissed. I hope you can stick around for the potluck today. Uh, go to a Sunday school class. They're all meeting in the Walkinshaw building today, by the way. Proclaimers in the uh, classroom and uh, Maranath in the living room over there. Quilton Ministries coming up on the 25th at 10 if you want to be a part of that. We're still doing landscaping. A lot got done yesterday, but there's still some to be done. Um, so next Saturday and Thursdays, um, if you want to sign up for Viral Pathways, Um, And Faith Bible Institute, you can do that at the Welcome Center. Okay? I think that's it. All right. God bless you. You are dismissed.